0: 27 more sleeps until Christmas day. Are you beginning to feel the pressure of that at all yet? Like, what do you have to do over the next 27 days? What have you got to get done? Well, for some people, they've gotta get the house clean, do the big cleaning, then they gotta do the big shopping, the big grocery shopping, because they gotta get the big meal ready. The in-laws are coming this year. got to get the tree up, got to get it decorated, got to get the other decorations up, got to do the gift shopping, got to wrap those gifts, got to get the stocking stuffers, got to get the stockings stuffed. Um, Don't forget something for the kid's bus driver or uh, the paper boy, or um, don't forget that work thing, that gift exchange thing at work, right? You got to get that done, 27 days. You know, maybe you weren't feeling the pressure of that 60 seconds ago, but once I itemized uh, some of those things, maybe you're starting to feel that pressure. The Christmas season can come with some pressure and some anxiety, particularly in the area of gift giving. It can be some pressure in that. We want to get it right. We talked a couple of weeks ago about uh, some stats. We looked at the one from the Retail Council of Canada, how that The average Ontario shopper uh, this year, 2021, expects to spend $863 on average on Christmas gifts. And uh, by the time you add on what people expect to spend on holiday travel and holiday entertainment and holiday food and holiday alcohol, that amount goes to about $1,706 on average per shopper. And uh, here's a little math for you. So Canada has about 38 million people. Of those 38 million people, about eight million are 19 years of age and under. We're just gonna kind of excuse them from this equation. Uh, No offense to that group. That leaves about 30 million Canadians who are 20 years of age and older. So if you take 30 million Canadians times $1,706, That equals a lot. It equals about $50 billion. So it's anticipated that this year in Canada on Christmas gifts, holiday travel, holiday entertainment, holiday food, holiday alcohol, that about $50 billion will be spent in Canada. And that figure actually makes sense when you consider some of the stats from the United States, because in the States it's expected that they will spend about 500 billion on those same things. And that's about 10 times the amount and it's about 10 times the population that we have. So that kind of makes sense. But what it means is this, that in North America, in excess of a half trillion dollars uh, is expected to be spent on Christmas and things associated with the Christmas holiday season. How much are you spending this year? Is it enough? Is it too much? Are you feeling uh, pulled into this spending vortex? Like I say, the gift-giving thing can be fraught with some anxiety and some pressure. I read a cute little story this week about a young couple Uh, who are now married, so the story ends well, but uh, when they were dating, it was their first Christmas together as a dating couple. And uh, in their exchanging of gifts uh, with each other, they didn't set a spending limit, which is always a good idea uh, to do that, especially for the first Christmas together, set a spending limit and stick to it. Well, they didn't do that. And he spent on her about $500. She spent on him, about $20. And it made a rather awkward uh, gift exchange on Christmas Day. And that he came off looking, oh, like needy and and desperate and clingy, and she came off looking um, cheap and disinterested, and none of that was true. But, uh, you know, the gift-giving thing can be challenging and even anxiety-producing. Well, here's kind of a contradiction in terms. You know, we introduced this Christmas series, uh, Advent Conspiracy, two weeks ago, and the theme for part one was spend less. And so today is part two of Advent Conspiracy, and the theme for today is give more. Spend less, give more. Those sound like contradictory terms. And some of you are thinking, man, I hope Higginson doesn't have much to do with the uh, budget process at at Sobel Church because uh, he doesn't even understand simple arithmetic. Um, Two weeks ago, when we talked about spend less, we talked about the wise men, the the magi, these truth-seeking pagan stargazers from probably from Iran, from Iraq uh, area, following the star, seeking for the newborn king. And they come to Jerusalem and they end up at the palace of the king, a guy named Herod. And Herod was the king over Palestine. He was placed there by Caesar Augustus, the emperor of the Roman Empire. And so Herod's task was to reign in Palestine on behalf of the um, Roman Empire. And Herod was a very effective king He was powerful and wealthy. Very, very, very wealthy. He had it all. Um, Herod had everything that this world had to offer, and yet he wanted more. No matter how much he had, he always wanted more. More power, more wealth, more control. The kingdom of Herod really was the kingdom of more, 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 more. He had it all, but really he had nothing because his life was just full of fear and full of anxiety and full of distrust and full of paranoia. He was um, constantly paranoid that people were plotting against him and um, trying to remove him from power and trying to get his things. And so Herod was constantly grasping after more and more control and more and more domination. And so when these uh, pagan, truth-seeking stargazers come along and they show up at his palace looking for the new king, well, Herod loses it. He just goes off the deep end. The text that we looked at last week said that Herod was troubled. (laughs) That's a pretty uh, polite term for um, completely just freaking out and all Jerusalem with him. But he took a deep breath and he called in um, a group of Old Testament experts, Hebrew experts, and uh, basically said to them, hey, is there anything to this new king uh, thing? And they said, yeah, there is. In the little prophecy of Micah in the Old Testament, chapter 5 and verse 2, there's this prophecy that was written, um, you know, 700, 750 years earlier that uh Even though Bethlehem is small and tiny among the thousands of Judah, yet out of Bethlehem would come one who would rule over um, the people of Israel. And so Herod was was told this information and uh, he put on his very best poker face and he called in the Magi, called in these truth-seeking pagan stargazers. And he said, I want you guys to go to Bethlehem 10 kilometers south of here. And there you'll find this one who's been born king of the Jews. And when you find him, I want you to uh, identify his exact location and then come back to me and tell me what that location is because I too want to go to Bethlehem so that I can worship him. And of course, we know that Herod had no intention of worshiping Jesus whatsoever. He actually wanted to kill Jesus. So intimidated was Herod by this baby, so threatened, so full of anxiety and greed, was Herod that he was paranoid about this child. He was so determined to maintain control on his kingdom of more, that he actually murdered all the baby boys, two years of age and under, in an entire village, simply to further his own ends. And you know, friends, really, we live in a kingdom of more here in Ontario, in Canada, in, in North America. Maybe you don't feel like you live in the kingdom of more, but if you think globally, you know, relatively speaking, we are so wealthy, we are so rich, we have it all. And we know people who live in our communities who really have it all, and yet they have nothing because their lives are marked by anxiety and fear and maybe discontent and maybe a grasping after more. And Jesus warned us about this. Jesus says, what does it really profit a person if they gain the whole world but lose their own soul? Elsewhere, Jesus said, beware of greed. A person's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that they possess. And so just like Herod was willing to to use the language of worship to secure his bottom line at all costs, so too this Christmas season, we have corporations and advertisers and marketers who are willing to hijack the language of worship for their own bottom line. Advertisers, marketers who will use the language of worship to compel us to spend, spend, spend even going into debt if necessary. They'll loan us the money, all to secure their bottom line. And so two weeks ago, when we introduced this Advent Conspiracy series, we proposed a conspiracy. We said, what if we conspired not to be pulled into this spending vortex, and what if we actually spend less this year? We didn't say don't spend, we didn't say don't shop. We're not declaring war on shopping or anything like that. On the contrary, um, shop, buy gifts, buy great gifts, shop locally uh, where you can. Maybe give gifts of, of, um, of your time, of your presence with people. Maybe give gifts that are handmade and homemade, but. You know, let's let's spend less on meaningless gifts. Those gifts where we spend money just for the sake of giving a gift with with very little thought, with with very little meaning, just kind of checking a name off of a list with whatever is handy or whatever is uh, available or whatever's on sale. Like if it doesn't fit, eh, no big deal. They're probably gonna return it anyway. Or if you really don't wanna give it any thought, give a gift card, give cash, let them buy their own gift, right? Let's spend less on those kinds of gifts, those meaningless gifts that are really to-dos, just checking off lists and not really expressing any sort of deep meaning. Let's spend less on meaningless gifts. But what if we take that money that we don't spend and we pool it and we use it for something great? And I've suggested that we look at uh, an offering on December 19th that's earmarked for our Benevolent Fund. This is a beautiful, beautiful fund that is exclusively set apart for the meeting of needs in Jesus' name. And we uh, have mentioned before how the Benevolent Fund works. When it reaches $8,000, anything over 8,000 in that fund automatically spills into a Good Works Fund, which is equally beautiful, just expressing the love of God uh, to our community and to others. These are beautiful funds that just um, help us engage really missionally in our area. You know, in this year, 2021, year to date, from our Benevolent Fund, We have dispersed about $21,200 just in this year alone, and we're not done this year yet. Out of our Good Works Fund, we have dispersed about $8,200. So, between our Benevolent Fund and our Good Works Fund, even just this year today, we've dispersed almost $30,000 to meet needs in Jesus' name. Engage with people at the point of their need, and to express in tangible ways the love of Jesus. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So, what if this year we spend less on meaningless gifts, and we take that money that we don't spend, and let's let's earmark it for our benevolent fund, so that together we can meet needs in Jesus' name. Well, I want you to uh, think about how it is that God entered into this. Christmas story into this first Christmas. You know, if I was writing the script of how God would become flesh, where Jesus would be born, I would have it take place in Jerusalem. That's where all the action was. That was the epicenter of religion and, and politics, and that was the, 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 the big city. I would have Jesus born there, maybe in the king's palace, or if not there, then maybe in the the shiny new temple that was built uh, for the religious establishment. And if in neither of those places, certainly somewhere in Jerusalem. But God shows up in a rather unexpected way, in a rather upside down way, kind of in a subversive way, 10 kilometers to the south in that little rednecky, sketchy, kind of armpity village of Bethlehem. God shows up in subversive fashion, upside down. And nobody really much was paying attention except these pagan stargazers and the minimum wage shepherds. God comes on the scene under the radar and turns everything upside down. I, I would like to think, uh, I'd like us to kind of think together for a few moments about why it is that we exchange gifts on December 25th. Like, why do we do, why do, we do that every year? Where did that come from? Did it come from the experience of the Magi, these, um, the, the, the wise men, because they gave gifts to Jesus. We know that they gave gifts of gold. That's a very fitting gift for a king. Uh, frankincense, which was an incense invented by a guy named Frank. I actually don't know what frankincense is. I do know a little bit about what myrrh is. Myrrh is a is a uh, resin that's extracted from small thorny trees from places like uh, Ethiopia, Yemen, uh, Eritrea, Somalia, and that resin is used to make um, a very fragrant spice that was used in Jesus' day and even long before Jesus' day to anoint kings and uh, to anoint dead bodies. Uh, Remember Joseph of Arimathea, so he was the one that went to Pilate after the crucifixion and he he got the body of Jesus from Pilate and so Joseph of Arimathea takes the body of Jesus to the tomb and um, uh, then enters into that scene Nicodemus, the one who came to Jesus by night and Nicodemus came carrying 75 pounds of spices, including myrrh. And they would take strips of cloth and they would saturate them in the, the spice and use that to, to wrap the dead body. And so you think about these gifts of the wise men to Jesus, the gold and frankincense and myrrh, odd gifts for an infant, for a child, um, but fitting for Jesus, this one who is king born to die, fitting for him. Well, did, um, does our gift giving on December 25th kind of harken back to the experience of these magi? Well, I don't think so because they didn't give gifts to each other. They gave gifts to uh, Jesus. Well, what about Santa Claus? What about old St. Nicholas? Is that where this gift-giving thing on December 25th comes from? Well, who was St. Nicholas anyway? We know that St. Nicholas was indeed a a real guy, Nicholas of Myra. Myra is in modern-day Turkey. And Nicholas was born to um, Christ-following parents who raised Nicholas and taught him to love Jesus and to follow Jesus and both of Nicholas's parents died while Nicholas was still quite young. And, uh, but his parents were people of means. They were very, very wealthy, and so they left Nicholas a very sizable uh, estate and inheritance. But Nicholas didn't coast on that. Rather, he used that, he leveraged that wealth uh, to be incredibly generous with others, especially with children. Nicholas was a pastor, he was a bishop, and he was known to recruit other Jesus followers to join with him in this exercise of generosity and meeting the needs of others. Nicholas, uh, historically, was actually part of a very important council that met together and affirmed and confirmed the deity of Jesus Christ. And of course, the the story of um, Nicholas, like the factual base of the story of Nicholas in the late 200s and the early 300s um, has grown um, to this uh, you know, commercial brand of St. Nicholas that we have today, complete with North Pole and workshop and toys and reindeer, and uh, he sees you when you're sleeping and, and knows when you're awake and other uh, things like that. So if, you know, if it wasn't the Magi um, that kind of inspired us to exchange gifts on December 25th, and, and um, I can't see really how it's Nicholas of Myra who inspired the gift exchange on December 25th. Well, what is the answer? Where does that come from? Well, I think, I think the ultimate answer of where that comes from, I think the answer is the Roman Empire. And we talk about the Roman Empire quite a bit. It's so important. It's really the birthplace of Christianity. It's it's in the Roman Empire that the church is birthed and this movement of Jesus followers first uh, sets uh, into motion. And um, in the Roman Empire, even before um, Jesus was born, in the Roman Empire, they had this end of year celebration and it would begin every year around December 17th, and it would go for about a week. And of course, in the Roman Empire, um, they had Caesar worship. Everybody had to say Caesar is Lord, but there was also a plethora of gods and goddesses, and uh, they worshiped these gods and goddesses. And one of the uh, very important gods that uh, they worshipped was a god called Saturn, the god of farming, the god of agriculture. And so at the end of the year, at the end of December, they would have this week-long celebration and it was called Saturnalia in honor honor of the uh, god of agriculture, Saturn. And uh, toward the end of that week, they would celebrate the birth of the sun god. And for the week of that celebration, they would close the schools, the marketplaces would close. It really was a week-long celebration. Really, it was like a week-long celebration a week devoted to uh, drinking and gambling and um, all manner of overindulgence, I guess you could say, to such an extent that one ancient uh, essayist, a guy by the name of Lucian, wrote of Saturnalia these words. He said, he wrote, the serious is barred, no business is allowed, drinking and being drunk, that is the point, noise and games of dice, singing naked, the clapping of hands, and the occasional dunking of faces in icy water. Kind of weird. Also, um, role reversal was a big part of this celebration as well. Men would dress up in women's clothing, role reversal. People would um, uh, cloak themselves in the hides of animals and they would party through the night like animals, role reversal. Uh, slaves would eat at the table, role reversal. So you've got this week of, of parting like animals and public drunkenness and the uh, naked singing and all of these things. It doesn't sound all that great or healthy or helpful, but there was also a lot of good things about Saturnalia as well. People would give to charities. They gave to the poor and uh, they would take care of those in need And because everything was closed, they would spend time together in family gatherings. They would sing songs. They would light candles. They would exchange gifts. They would cut down evergreen boughs and bring them inside the house and use them as decorations. Is any of this uh, sounding a little bit familiar? Now remember, at the heart of Saturnalia, this end of December celebration in the Roman Empire, at at the heart of it is the worship of pagan deities. It's it's dark at the heart, right? Now think about the the early church, the churches birthed in the first century uh, in the Roman Empire. Well, what on earth are they gonna do with Saturnalia? It's like the early Christians said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. We, we don't buy into all these gods and goddesses anymore. We're worshiping Jesus. We're following Jesus. And we don't think that you know uh, public drunkenness and singing naked for a week is really what Jesus is calling us to. And so this newly forming church asked themselves the question, well, how are we going to handle the Saturnalia celebration? And they said, Let's conspire. They said, we're off work anyway. And since nobody really knows what day Jesus was born on, let's do something subversive. And let's celebrate the birth of Jesus while everybody else is celebrating Saturnalia. And so this early church decided early on that instead of rejecting the celebration of Saturnalia, They would uh, engage in that celebration. They would seek to redeem that celebration by introducing into that celebration an acknowledgement of the birth of Jesus. So they said, let's celebrate the birth of Jesus at the end of December while the rest of the Roman world is celebrating Saturnalia. By the way, we don't know exactly what day Jesus was born on either. but it almost certainly was not December 25th. In fact, it is highly unlikely that Jesus was born during our winter, uh, far more likely that he was born during our fall, likely somewhere between 6 BC and 4 BC. We know that King Herod dies in 4 BC and certainly um, Jesus was born prior to the death of Herod. Now, this celebration of the birth of Jesus on December 25th um, really got kind of uh, penned into uh, officially and permanently into the religious calendar in the fourth century when Pope Pius said, December 25th, uh, that's Christmas. That's when we celebrate the birth of Jesus. That's when it really became official. Now, as you think about what... uh, what we've pointed out today about Saturnalia and whatnot. Um, Does does the pagan tinge of celebrating Christmas on December 25th, does that make you at all uncomfortable? Like, are you looking around your house right now? Maybe you've got it decorated already. Are you looking at the decorations thinking, oh man, Uh, I think we better take the garland down. I think we better take the wreaths off the door. I think we better remove the Christmas tree. Or if you haven't decorated yet, are you second guessing yourself as to putting those things up? Some Christians are um, quite uncomfortable with the pagan tinge of the origin of the December celebration. I'll tell you who is really uncomfortable with it, was the Puritans. You remember them? weird hats, uh, buckles on their shoes, very, very uptight. Uh, One of them was a guy named Oliver Cromwell. He was a member of British Parliament, pretty important guy. He became Lord Protector of England, Ireland, and Scotland, and he was a Puritan, and while he was in politics, he actually, uh, to use a current term, canceled Christmas. Uh, He outlawed it, he said, That's a a carnal and worldly celebration, and for about 15 years, uh, there wasn't Christmas from about 1645 until about 1660. It got canceled. So what do we do with it? What do we do with Christmas? Well, do we line up behind the Puritans, and do we want to just throw out any celebrations in December associated with the birth of Jesus because of the pagan tinge of all of this, or... Do we want to line up ourselves behind the even earlier followers of Jesus who conspired to do something subversive, something upside down? They conspired together to bring Jesus into the public celebrations. They decided to use the public celebrations in such a way as to uh, tell the story of Jesus in a way that their friends would get it. They decided to engage their culture. They decided to seek to redeem the celebration. They decided to do something beautiful and something winsome to try and draw the attention of people back to the story of Emmanuel, God with us. And so, yes, we want to push back against the the pagan weirdness that was part of the origin of the December celebration, and yes, by all means, we wanna push back against our culture that is willing to hijack the language of worship to try and compel us to spend, 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 and to participate in excessive commercialization, but let's not be the Sobble Beach version of Oliver Cromwell and the Puritans. Let's not be Scrooge. Let's celebrate Christmas in such a winsome and gracious way that we actually draw people to look at the Jesus story. Well, there's, um, there's, there's a few perspectives uh, for you to, to kind of mull over um, about the uh, celebration of Christmas on December 25th and exchanging gifts and decorating with greenery and those sorts of things. Um, But what I want to spend the next few moments on is uh, today's theme of giving more, giving more. I think one of the very best ways to ensure that our gift giving this year is great, that we really give great gifts, I think one of the best ways to ensure that is to be informed by the way in which God gave the gift of His Son, And I want us just for the last few moments here to consider three characteristics of God's gift of Jesus. I'll give you all three and then we'll kind of go one at a time. Number one, in Jesus, God gives us the gift of his presence. Number two, in Jesus, God gives us a gift that is personal. And number three, in Jesus, God gives us a gift that is priceless. Let's go uh, one at a time on on these. Number one, in Jesus, God gives us the gift of his presence. I want to read uh, some verses from Matthew's gospel, chapter one. I'm going to begin at verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. In Jesus, God gives us the gift of his presence. Emmanuel, God with us. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 1, speaking of Jesus, he said, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. The Apostle Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 1 about Jesus that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. It's Jesus who makes the invisible God visible. It's Jesus who makes the God who is incredible credible. And, uh, Some of you are perhaps um, following along in our fall reading challenge through the gospel of John and you will certainly remember well John chapter one and verse one. It says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And then you jump down to the 14th verse and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In Jesus, God gives us a gift of his presence, God with us. Is there someone this Christmas to whom you can give the gift of presence, the gift of your presence with them. I read a story about a a 20-year-old son who gave a a rather unique gift to his father, and uh, not very expensive, but very unique. He gave to his dad a bag of coffee, actually a bag of coffee beans, along with a handwritten card Uh, that proposed getting together once a week to grind some beans, brew some coffee, and have a conversation. The gift of presence. What a beautiful gift. A beautiful gift. Spend less, but actually give more. In Jesus, God gives us the gift of his presence. Spending less, but giving more. Is there somebody that you can give the gift of your presence this Christmas season. The second point is this. In Jesus, God gives a gift that is personal. I'm going to read a few verses from Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified, But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Look at this, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. It's gonna be for all the people, but I'm bringing this good news to you, to you, shepherd, to you, shepherds. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. You see, in Jesus, God gives a gift that is personal. God loves you. The gift of his son, Jesus, is a personal gift to you. The gift of Jesus is not some generic, off-the-rack, one-size-fits-all gift. It's a gift for you. It's personal. C.S. Lewis said it this way, Speaking of Jesus, he died not for men, but for each man. If each man had been the only man made, he, Jesus, would have done no less. In Jesus, God gives a gift that is personal. Have you ever received a gift um, that felt impersonal? You opened it up and it just really seemed clear that the giver never stopped to consider you, never stopped to consider your personality and your interests and your tastes and your needs, but rather they gave you a gift that seemed impersonal or maybe even horror of horrors, something that was re-gifted. Ever receive a gift card from someone? I wanna just very quickly show you three Christmas gifts that I have received that I love. Three gifts that were given, very, very personal gifts. I'll show you this one first off. This is a a candle that was given to me years and years ago by my daughter, Megan, when she was just little. On the top it says, Dad. And uh, then it says, Merry Christmas, it's got a picture of an angel and some, uh, I actually don't know what all those things are, at a Christmas tree and some candy canes. Handmade, homemade for me. Not for anybody else on the planet. Just for me. You could say, hey, I'll give you $1,000 for that candle. There's no way I would sell it. I love it for me, a gift that is personal, handmade, homemade, personal for me. Love that. Another gift uh, that I wanna show you is is this. This is, of course, a sweater. Um, It's a rather intricate uh, pattern. This was knit for me for Christmas by my mom. My mom passed away in 2015 And uh, she knit this for me at a time uh, when her hands had a lot of pain because of arthritis, but she kind of pushed through all of that and she knit this sweater for me, just for me. This is not an off-the-rack generic uh, sweater. This was made specifically for me by my mom. And I love this, it's personal. Another gift is this uh, photo album that was made for me as a Christmas gift by my sister, Linda. And of course, it's personal. I couldn't re-gift this. It's uh, full of pictures of me and my family and uh, it's done in kind of scrapbooking fashion with all kinds of neat um, uh, things added in. And um, I love it. And it's only for me. I'm the only person on the planet for whom that gift was appropriate. It's so personal to me. Handmade, homemade, none of these three gifts would have been very expensive. Spend less, but boy oh boy, give more. Gifts that are handmade and homemade and given with such love and with such time and effort put in beautiful, beautiful gifts. Maybe this year on your uh, gift list, you have to buy for, maybe, maybe you've gotta buy for a Jesus follower who is very missionally minded, very uh, interested in cross-cultural missions. Well, let me, let me draw your attention to this. this uh, we've already talked about this today, but this is our BIC Giving Guide. There are some fantastic missional kinds of gifts that can be given in the name of the person who's on your list, but can really have wonderful cross-cultural missional impacts, uh, meeting needs, and and touching lives at the point of need and expressing the love of Jesus. That's really great. Um, There's another thing, That I'll mention, and you'll see it on the screen as well. You'll see a little QR code where you can find the MCC or Mennonite Central Committee, uh, their gift giving catalog. And uh, there's some awesome gifts in here. Let me just identify a few. For $23, you could help pipe clean water to rural homes in Nepal. $13 provides a family uh, with a brood of chicks and this isn't Nepal, this is in in various uh, cross-cultural locations, $23 will stock a fish pond, $13 will provide fruit tree seedlings, $52 provides a family with a pig to raise, $20 can provide blankets and clothing for infants in Malawi, $9 can provide mosquito nets, $65 can provide entrepreneurial opportunities to women in Chad, and you know what? If you're one of my five children, uh, just plug your ears right now. This is like, um, spoiler alert. $65 provides a family with a goat to raise. Um, for each of my five kids, they're giving the gift of a goat uh, this year. Uh, for families to raise goats, you can you can raise them. I, I understand that they're somewhat simple to raise. I've never raised one. I don't know. But you can raise them in rather kind of confined uh, areas and you can raise that goat and sell that uh, goat and uh, help provide income for your family. Those are great ways to give gifts, even if on your gift list is somebody who's not a Jesus follower, but they're like a global citizen. They think globally and they think about people on the margins and they're maybe um, people of justice with interests in justice. These are wonderful gifts that can be given, very personal gifts. Um, that can be given in the name of your friend or loved one. Well, um, the third point is this. In Jesus, God gives us a gift that is priceless. In Jesus, God gives us a gift that is priceless. Think about that Philippians chapter two passage that Tammy read just a little bit earlier in this uh, service about how Jesus leaves heaven to come to earth The fancy theological term for that is incarnation, God becoming flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, leaving heaven, coming to earth. That's a big step. That's a a big step. Jesus stooped and he stepped into this fallen human framework. Think about it. He left the Father's side, a place where he was honored and worshiped and and adored, and he came to earth, but he didn't simply come to earth in some kind of hermetically sealed Jesus mobile where he couldn't be touched or um, where he couldn't be uh, protected. He came as a man, and not just a man, he came as a servant. And not just as a servant, but a servant Obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus gave his life for you. What a dramatic series of demotions that Jesus went through for you and for me. This is God hand-delivering his priceless gift for you and for me. You know, the angel said to Joseph, you'll call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is Savior. Jesus is the sin forgiver. Jesus brings forgiveness of sins. How do you put a price on that? How do you put a price on forgiveness? By the way, is there somebody to whom you can give the gift of forgiveness this Christmas season? Maybe someone against whom you are holding a grudge. Why not give them a gift? give yourself a gift and let it go. It will cost you. It will cost you the ability to hold that over their head. It'll cost you the right to say, I told you so. And you might say, well, what if if my expression of forgiveness is rejected? I would say, go ahead and risk that rejection Jesus did. Jesus came as a servant is there somebody that you can serve this Christmas season? Is there somebody to whom you can give that gift of, of serving them? Well, I want, I want to just close with this and, and take just a couple of moments. And I want you to see and to listen to some beautiful verses of scripture that talk about the, the gift of God in Jesus Christ.
1: God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, John 3, 16.
2: Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father had planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we lived, Galatians 1, verse 4.
1: For unto us a child is born, Unto us a son is given. Isaiah
2: 9.6 There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Acts
1: 4.12 For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 6.23
2: for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9.
1: Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. 2 Corinthians nine fifteen.
2: I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet, not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2, 20.
0: Have you held out your hands and said yes to the gift of God? Yes to Jesus. Have you said yes to a personal relationship with Jesus, the one who gave his life for you? Well, let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your great love for us, for me. Thank you for the gift of your Son, the gift of your presence, God with us, a gift that is personal for me and for each one listening today, and a gift that is priceless, the gift of a Savior, the gift of a rescuer, the Gift of forgiveness, a new heart, a new start, a new life. Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you for leaving the glories of heaven, for stooping and stepping into this fallen framework for love of me, Jesus, for love of each one listening today. Jesus, you are worthy, you are worthy to receive all honor. In all glory and all praise, we worship you, Jesus, amen.